This episode of God and Other Delicacies was recorded before the murder of George Floyd. Hello, everyone. Welcome to God and Other Delicacies. I'm Nicholas D'Augusto. Thank you all for being here. I hope this show is finding you healthy, safe, and sane wherever you are in the world. Today, I have the privilege of welcoming John Bobeck to the show. John Bon Jobeck, as I lovingly dubbed him, and in turn, he lovingly put as his Instagram handle, is a professional actor of both screen and stage and a versatile singer-songwriter. You've seen him on The West Wing, Happy Endings, American Crime, When a Stranger Calls, and A Series of Unfortunate Events, among others. He's been on stage at the Geffen Playhouse and the critically acclaimed Mysterious Circumstances that starred Alan Tudyk, as well as having played many shows at our shared home for theater, the NTS Company in Glendale, California. He has LPs, EPs, and singles available under his name wherever music is sold or streamed. And he's one of my dearest friends, another Marquette University theater alum who's been out here in LA with me for over 15 years now. It is an honor and a joy And frankly, it's just plain odd to have this dude on the phone with me because no joke, he lives two miles away. But these are the times, and you know them all too well, friends. Welcome to the show, Johnny Bond. Hey, buddy, how are you? (laughs) Oh, I love your nicknames. Ah, dude. I mean, look, I made it the Instagram handle. uh, It's stuck. (laughs) Yeah, I, I love your Instagram handle so much. I hope that it isn't confusing for people that are trying to actually genuinely find you, but I do love it. <laughs> no, we've had that conversation, you know, like, oh, should I just make it John Bobek music? What should I, you know, I don't know. I like it. Well, if you ever decide, I will never be insulted, but obviously I have to talk about how much I love it. I have to probably be cautious of not getting too much in the weeds with you. So I'm going to immediately start with something that I'm genuinely curious about. You've been doing a lot of streaming live music with Aaron, yeah. who is your partner, Aaron Barnes, and you're making music, doing it on Instagram and Facebook, I think, right? Uh, yeah, that's right. Are you writing a bunch of new tunes? I mean, at this point, you must just be writing a ton of music. Yeah, you know, man, it's really interesting. Like, <laughs> and we'll, I'm sure we'll get into it at some point in this conversation, but there is something very spiritual for me about music and about writing music. And sometimes it's there and sometimes it's not. And it's been kind of bonkers lately because there's just so much. There's just so much happening. And sometimes it's really hard to filter things to write about. Mm. Sometimes it's not at all. Sometimes there's one thing that's stuck in your head and you got to get it out. And that's when it hits and you write six songs in a day and not all of them are great, but, uh, but like, you know, one might be, and, and those are the good days. And the bad days are you want to write and you just sit there and I, you know, I write, I don't use a typewriter or anything. I use my computer and I'll just sit there and I'll mash the space bar for six hours trying to figure mm. out what to write, you know? Mm. Yeah. What, how many good days have you had, do you think, in this? Have they been, are you expressing that they've been kind of few and far between just because it's been so overwhelming? Well, let me tell you a little bit about what my writing process is like. I would love to hear this. I don't think I've ever actually heard this from you, so that's great. Yeah, so um, most of the time, I do try to set aside enough time every week to just kind of play. And... When I do that, sometimes it's just noodling around on the guitar until I find a melody I like, and then, or if I have a sort of a lyrical structure, a chorus, or something like that, or I want to get going. This pandemic, it's been really, really hard because there is so much time, at least on our end. There's, there's time, but 
it feels so different. It doesn't feel like I'm setting aside the time. It's like the time is being set aside for me. Mm. But there's something that happens with me, man, when I get the muse, when the muse hits me or whatever, and I and I start writing. <laughs> I've told my father about this, that like, it's like I get a phone call from somebody bigger. Like my whole body buzzes. Mm. Like I get like a little vibrate and I'm like, ooh, 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 I got to write. I got to write. I got to do it. I got I, I got this thing. And I get this feeling and I just know that, okay, this is the moment I got to do this thing and I got to do it. And there hasn't honestly been much of that during this time. There's been a couple. And so I've written a couple of new songs that I'm, I'm happy with. But yeah, it's, it, it's weird, man. <laughs> well, that is really interesting, man. I mean, I think people in general might be able to relate to that. I think creatives can definitely relate to that to some extent. Although, I mean, I'm not saying I feel things in exactly the same way you do, but I certainly can understand what that feeling might feel like. But yeah. I guess what I want to ask is it feels kind of sad, right? That what you're saying is that the muse isn't coming maybe as often as you would normally. So what you're expressing is you have all this time, right? You're being told to just sit down and do something in your space right? by the world right now, as the world is telling almost all of us to do this. And even if you were just in your regular busy day-to-day, week-to-week, you're saying to me that you would have had more visits by this muse. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, it's, you know, it's the old adage of like, watch pot never boils. Hmm. When I have a ton of time to just sit and think about things, I find myself incredibly unfocused and unable to separate myself from all the things that are actually happening in the world which, which means that I can't creatively laser on certain things that I want to do. And that, that's problematic for me. You know, usually it's exactly like you said. When I'm in the world and I'm doing stuff and I got to go here and I got to go to this place and today's work is over here. Then when I get home, it's like, ooh, I got, I got 20 minutes. I got 30 minutes. I'm going gonna, gonna to sit down. I'm going to play the guitar. And because I haven't been concentrating on nothingness all day. (laughs) Mm. You actually have it, you know? Something that you expressed off mic before we started recording the show was that you and Aaron have Zoom fatigue, that you have this opportunity, as I know lots of people have expressed this to me, that they're on Zoom a lot, and some people are expressing it in this very positive way, but you were expressing to me that you're just, you're fried from it. It's too much on the screen. It's too much interaction with people in this particular way. And what you're also speaking to is that you're not just in the chaos of life enough. You're not out in the world. We're not going into doing all the things that we want to do. You're not performing on stage right now. There are no plays to perform. There are no, there are no plays to see. There are no environments to go let yourself just be relaxed in outside where you can bump around with the chaos of, of the community around you and who knows what's going to come your way. Everything is this filtered, preordained, unless you choose it, it doesn't come kind of environment. And it's interesting to hear you talk about, it seems like you're intimating that it's the lack of chaos in our lives, the lack of that unexpected out in the world, elbowing around with each other is the thing that's might be impeding a lot of us from some creative impulses. How do you feel about all that? Yeah, absolutely, man. I think that that's <laughs> really, really nuanced look at it, actually. It's uh, 
you know, going back to what you were saying about the Zoom fatigue, I, I so crave interpersonal connection. I love it. It is the thing that fuels me. You know, like I, this is why I love theater. I love getting to look another person in the eyes and play. And the fact that we can connect with people and that, look, I, I've connected with a bunch of people that I wouldn't have connected with in a really long time because, you know, everybody's doing the Zoom thing and we're calling people that we haven't talked to in forever and seeing them and seeing their faces in person. There's something really exciting about that, but it's also not the same. It's not the same thing. You're also not experiencing the world with those people in the way that you would when you grab a drink with them, mm. you know, where you have stimuli all the time around you to be like, oh my God, look at that fucking guy. He's fucking crazy. Don't, you know, whatever. You don't have that. It's just, oh my God, my cat is sitting there. Yay. You know, mm. like that's, yeah. that's what I have. And I could, I could write you a, a whole song about what it's what it's like to take care of two cats during a pandemic. I got, <laughs> I got lots of information about that, man. I like. Yeah, I look no, forward no to the cat record. <laughs> exactly. A scoop here and a scoop there. Got to scoop it all out. You know, like that's you know that's honestly like that's what my expertise is right now. Right. It's what right. I'm focused on every day. Yeah. Um, but I think wow. you're right, man. I think that there's something really lovely about the chaos of the world. The problem is going out into the world right now isn't fun chaos. It's not fun stimulus. Every time I go to the grocery store and I, you know, see people who are, <laughs> I hear somebody sneeze and it's like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. In the way that like my normal thing before, like would just be like, bless you, <laughs> you know? Right. Now it feels dire and that's weird. That's just a weird bit of chaos that, doesn't feed me creatively. Does that make sense? Oh, totally. I, I actually just went to the supermarket today with my son. It's the first time I've taken my son out with me. Uh, I just heard somebody sneeze in their car getting out of the and 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 I had that same thought, like, huh, I wonder if that person's got COVID-19. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh, your mind yeah. is just like, what? It's just I sneeze all the time, I got allergies. And yes. I mean, and I haven't been sick in months, <laughs> you know, because of this thing. Uh, you know, we're not going anywhere, not interacting with anyone. I'm not picking up colds. I'm not picking up flus. I'm not picking up anything. And we're fortunate in that way, I should state, right? But, um, right. but yeah, I'm just connecting with you on that point. And that's sad to hear you. It's enlightening to me, but it's sad to hear that this is um, afflicting your creativity and probably is for a lot of people. I think so, man. You know, I think like, you know, the weird, the weird thing about it is when we were out in the world normally before, there were a lot of things that, a lot of experiences for people that are different than what I have. And that led me to connect with them because I wanted to know about those things and learn about those things. Now we're all having a universal experience mm. and all I want to do is disconnect and just not be around it. You know, I, I want it to go away. And, you know, I think at the beginning, tying back to what you said before, there was that initial surge of like, I got to connect with people. I got to go on Zoom. I got to go on. And that was lovely. And that initial outpouring of like, we need to connect was great. And now I think that there's, there's just a fatigue of trying so hard to connect, but only being able to connect about the same damn thing. Yeah. You know, and I, I'm dying for something new, <laughs> honestly. I feel you, man. I feel you. Yeah. 
I appreciate you sharing. That was really interesting. I didn't, I didn't know that that was going on with you. Yeah, sure. Cool, man. Well, look, what'd you have for breakfast? Oh, yes. I, I knew the question was coming, uh, but I, <laughs> but I forgot, forgot when I was eating this morning. Uh, no, I, I, I have what I have almost every morning, which is uh, an energy drink that's way too powerful for most normal people. Um, <laughs> right, I, right. I, I, I drink a lot of caffeine, man. Um, but today <laughs> I had a slice of beer bread. Uh, beer toasted. bread? Yeah. Do you not know about this? Okay. Did you make this beer bread? Is this something that's going on right now? Oh yeah. Well, here's the deal: is that there's a lot of people baking right now. Yes, right. right. A lot I of did. People baking. There's a lot of. I heard about the pancake cereal. Have you heard about pancake cereal? Oh my God, no! I don't even know what that is, but it sounds like something I want in my face, right? Yeah. Now. <laughs> well, I, I I'll throw the ball back to you, but Andrea, my wife, was telling me that people are making instead of like large pancakes, they're making very tiny dots of pancakes on the skillet, <laughs> and then. <laughs> And then they're, you know, making, you know, lots and lots of them and then putting them in bowls and then eating them like cereal. Wow. <laughs> so you'll have to tell me if that works for you. Okay, what's beer? What's the beer bread thing going on? That's amazing. Well, so every, everybody's baking, but because of that, there's no yeast. You can't find yeast anywhere. You can't find active dry yeast, oh. you know, unless you're buying it in bulk somewhere. And so Erin, you know, she bakes a lot. And so this has been like a, oh my God, there's no, there's no yeast. What do we do? Well, there's yeast in beer. Wow. And uh, one of the things you can do, and we, we use the Kodiak, this isn't like a sponsored thing, but we use like the Kodiak uh, protein, all purpose baking stuff. And you put a little sugar in it with that. And, uh, and then you put a 12 ounce can of beer in it or a bottle of beer and you put it in the oven and the yeast Rises the bread, so wow. uh, so you can have beer bread and it's delicious. We use, uh, we, I tend to use like brown beers um, because they're they're nice, they're tasty, they're a little bit sweet, and uh, they don't change the the character of the bread too much. I love this. But yeah, so because we can't bake with other stuff, we made beer bread and eat sandwiches with it. You know, whatever. That's great. Yeah, man. Is this energy can you were referring to? Is this the one that you gave me? Did you give me one of these? Oh yeah, I haven't yeah, even I had did. it yet. I've, I've, I've genuinely been scared. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know how each much one I of, should take. <laughs> well, each one of those cans is two servings. And I don't, I don't personally understand that, but apparently that <laughs> must be what they're, they're like, don't drink the whole can. But that seems crazy. Yeah. Like, why would anybody do, why would you sell the can? Why would you not just sell half a can? <laughs> they're appealing to people like you who they legally have to say, only drink half this can, but we know that you want. Two cans. So we're just going to give that's, you it all in one can. That's, that's really funny. right. And they're right. John, how and when were you introduced to the idea of God in your life? You know, it's an interesting question, man, because I, I honestly don't, I don't have an early, early memory of the actual introduction to it. What I do remember is my dad put on the ode to joy for me when I was a little, little kid and said this piece of music was written for God. And I was, I said, what is, what is that? that? What does that mean? And at this point we were, we were pretty young. Uh, 
enough to know that I wanted to know what that meant, but I, I don't even know if we were going to church at that point yet. Hmm. Um, but I remember asking about it and then, you know, kind of getting a brief history about it from my mom and my dad, who are two very different people when it came to religion, although they, they saw eye to eye on a, on a great number of things. But my mom was a Protestant. She was, I think, technically a Congregationalist, um, although we never we never did any of her church stuff. We stuck mostly with the Roman Catholic stuff on my dad's side. Can you define um, what Congregationalist means? Do you know enough about yeah, that? Yeah. I, I looked up a little bit. I mean, the most interesting thing is that they have no leadership like a pope. You know, they don't recognize any of that. And any decisions that are made in the church are made democratically. So each parish kind of has its own, their own way of doing things, their own feel of things. They, um, they do believe in Jesus and the Bible, but within that, there's a lot of freedom to interpret each person can interpret the gospel as they see fit. That's cool. So the name is very directly about celebrating that each congregation is its own congregation. That's I, the point. I believe that's right. Cool. Okay, so this is what your mom was raised in. Yeah. Where was she raised? They were raised on the East Coast. They were raised uh, Boston area. Oh, your, your mom was from Boston. Yeah, my mom was from Braintree. My dad was from Randolph. Does that uh, mean they're both to... in Massachusetts, suburbs? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I didn't know that. Yeah, and I was born on the East Coast, too. I was born in Connecticut, so. I didn't know that. When did you move? Um, we moved around a lot because my dad had uh, a couple really great jobs, and so we moved to a couple places in Connecticut, and then uh, I lived in Ohio for a little bit, lived in uh, Dublin, Ohio, and then um, we moved to Wisconsin when I was fourth grade? Fourth grade. Wow. Okay, and so your you said your dad was raised... He's Roman Catholic, and so we were we were Roman Catholic too. <laughs> you know, I think I think my mom and my dad both wanted me to, and my sister, I should say, I have one sister uh, younger than me. Uh, they wanted both of us to have like a structure, like a good structure for life, and so we went to church. I went to public school, um, but I did do CCD, which is the catechism, basically, right? Mm-hmm. Do you guys have that? Well, yeah, I went to and private. I went to private school my whole life, my private Catholic school. So I never went to CCD because I was getting all that during the day. But um, oh, that's right too. But for sure, yeah, I did. There was definitely CCD. Anyway, go on. Yeah, you know, and, and all that was was pretty good. I uh, I enjoyed. The, I've always been someone who likes ritual, so mm. I enjoyed going to church. I liked the singing. Obviously, um, was something that I was. You know, I liked the community. I liked all the people being around. But I didn't pay much attention in mass. So the content I didn't care much about till we got to the singing, you know, but I, they tried to make sure that I had a good sort of like basic structure on how to be a good person. Um, but in catechism, uh, or CCD, my, my parents got a call cause I, yeah, I was in public school. So I would go to CCD and they teach us about stuff. And, uh, and I got really nosy about evolution <laughs> in in the CCD classes, and they did not like that very much. Um, so my parents got a call saying that I was influencing non-Christian thought. Wow, really? <laughs> yes. And uh, my mother went, no, we're done. We're done. We're done. We're not doing this anymore. And uh, 
And so I think, you know, we, we tried to go back to church a couple of times, but I think, I think my dad realized that like, we weren't really into it anymore. And, you know, we, we were turning out to be pretty okay kids. So the work of the church was basically done at that point. How old do you think you were? Probably like 11 or 12. It was about the time that I started performing in an outside performing group. There was a, like a performing group called a company of kids uh, Hmm. in Wisconsin. And, you know, it was basically show, show choir plus, um, but we did Summerfest, we did all that stuff, and, you know, we'd sing and dance, and that was where I really had, you know, my core group of friends, where I basically grew up, you know. Um, but I think it was right about the time I joined them that the, the job of the church was done, and it was time for me to go be a good person in the world. Do you think that, was your mom, so something that um, the audience should know is that your mom died uh is it eight years ago now? Yeah, eight years ago. That's right. And that's obviously something we'll talk a lot more about. Um, but sure. I I guess one question that came up to me right now was, I know you're very close to your father, but do you feel like, um, is that representative of your mom, that she would be the one to step up and say, absolutely not, I'm not going to let my son's inquisitive mind be demonized by this teacher? Is that kind of representative of her on a larger scale in your life? Was she very encouraging about your questions? Is she an intellectual? Did you have a kinship with her intellectually? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like, you know, one of the things that was so amazing about her was um, she was so good at talking to people and listening to people and on top of that not running away from very very difficult conversations um and also i mean she was a beast if you did anything bad to her kids Mm. you know i think my my father is a is a businessman and absolutely would fight for us 100 percent. but he was very civil and very measured and he could have a conversation with you you know and have a a, a heart-to-heart intellectual conversation about things my mother would get in your face and be like what the fuck do you say to my kid Mm, that's great (laughs) you know and she it was you know they they were a um a really beautiful yin yang in that, in that way that, uh, kind of whatever I, whatever I needed in the moment when, you know, when my mom was around, I had everything, you know? Hmm. All right, John, that's a really good place to, to hang up the first section. It was a long first section, but it was really good. And we'll get right back into this after the break. Of course. At times like this, it is necessary that we ask ourselves what is worth talking about, what is worth listening to, and what we each can do to make the world around us better in our own small way. Discussions revolving around a person's beliefs and perspectives on God are something I personally can speak to, and my intention is to create a space where our deepest feelings about God and life can be expressed, heard, and better understood. That is one of the motivations behind God and Other Delicacies, and it is my humble hope that it contributes to the positive side of the cultural ledger. 
It is my intention to continue to create opportunities here for the presentation of those ideas that are different than mine, so that I can listen to them, come to understand them better, and hopefully discover ways in which I and each of us can participate in fostering communities that are ultimately more fair and loving for all. All right, everybody, we're back with John, and we just left off with him just starting to kind of talk about the way his parents interacted back when his mother was still alive and about some of the her ferocity throughout his life, especially when he was young. And I one thing I wanted to say was I didn't know that about you, that you were not raised in an overarchingly religious household. No. You had an awareness of religion. You entertained, the family entertained Roman Catholicism for a little while. You told the story about CCD. But you ended up at a Jesuit university. What ended up bringing you to Marquette? Phyllis Ravel. Oh, yeah. That is honestly like... Wow. I'm, I, when I was, I was looking at all, all sorts of colleges. I knew I wanted to go into acting and possibly history. So I went for my scholarship auditions and I met Phyllis and I did my audition for her. And she just, she, she came up to me afterwards and she just sat and my father was at that audition too. And I uh, just sat in the audience and uh, just the way Phyllis spoke about things. I don't know, man, you know, you know, Phyllis. Yeah. And she's, yeah. Let me actually, let me say a quick thing about Phyllis. So uh, just to let people in on this. So um, I've mentioned Phyllis on earlier shows, would have been a long time ago at this point, but she was, she has died now. Uh, and I think it's like going on eight years. Um, yeah. And, oh, that's right. She was, was very close to your mother. Right. Yeah. And, so Phyllis was the artistic director at Marquette University, the theater program that we know each other in. Arsène Delay, who was on the show a couple of weeks before yours, also mentioned Phyllis, and I regret to some extent that she talked briefly about Phyllis, but I got lost in the edit. I had to sort of lose it in the edit, but um, sure. we're talking about her again here, and I should mention also that there's a picture of Phyllis that hangs on my wall in the studio, and I look at her, I'm looking at her right now, and I look at her, um, often throughout the shows when I'm recording. And she was very influential on all of us. She, like I said, was the artistic director at the college. And um, she was deeply inspirational to all of us. And um, she got me to Marquette and apparently got you there too. So tell me more about it. Yeah, so there was, man, there was just something, I, again, sort of like one of those indescribable just like moments of feeling that I just felt like I think this is, I think this is the person I I trust, mm. and my dad had a very very similar reaction to her, and that was also a good sign for me because um, I contend on the emotional side a bit too much, <laughs> mm. and my dad is a very emotional guy, but he lets logic lead the way. Uh, but he felt very much the same way about her. And, you know, she very sort of like just cavalierly he said, well, you know, come see Life is a Dream. Because uh, I, that was, that's the show that was going on before I had gotten there. Mm -hmm. 
And I, that's the first thing that I saw at Marquette was life was a dream. And it blew my freaking mind. Mm. And I'm like, okay, yeah, this is, um, this is where I want to be. I think, um, these are people who are doing really neat stuff on college stages when most of the college theater I'd seen was, you know, our town and little shop of horrors. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's absolute. There's a place 100% for that. But I was really affected by the art that I was seeing. And it, it was foreign to me um, because I hadn't seen much like that. Wow. Well, that's really yeah. cool hearing that. Arsene talks about life as a dream uh, also in her show. And, and I should mention that Father Drance, who's the man who directed that show and brought us to New York along with Phyllis, um, is going to be on the show in a couple of weeks. So oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, so that's very exciting. Wow, man. Okay, so that got you there. And was there any hesitation on your part to enter into a religious atmosphere again? Did you have to start taking theology courses like everybody? I did, yeah. I had a little bit of trepidation about it, but again, I was ready for a fight, <laughs> if that makes sense. Hmm. You know, like there was, at this point, by the time I had gotten to college, a lot had changed in my view of religion because I had had a lot of friends who, you know, by the time I was 18, 17, 18, I had a lot of friends who were coming out and, uh, which, you know, was, I was a foreign thing to me at the time too, you know, like I hadn't been brought up, um, like around a lot of gay people and yeah, when I was doing the performing group, there were there were a lot of people who, man, they they just became best friends. And uh, to hear any institution or person or anything say that my friends were less than because of who they were, oh boy, that would bring the mama bear out in me too. But I also knew that like, from everything, all the research that I had done and the people that I had talked to, they were like, ah, Jesuits aren't really like that. <laughs> and I didn't know what that meant until I got taught by Jesuits. And my experience with Jesuit teachers is wonderful and very different than my experience with my Theo one teacher, who I won't name, but he was an evangelical Christian it put into perspective that like not all people who study theology hate or dislike or want to bring down the people who are non-believers or don't believe the same thing. And my experience with Jesuits on the whole has been education. Let's talk. I want to teach you things and I want to know how you feel about things. Mm. Does that make sense? Totally. Well, and I went to a Jesuit high school as well. So I have a lot of experience with the Jesuits, and on the whole, it's just been really positive. I think in some ways I, it's hard for me to understand. Um, it's it's kind of nice to hear you talk about it from your perspective because I think it's an interesting perspective to come from public school and and not have had any prior private Catholic training in your schools. Yeah. And then to come into a collegiate level and start enjoying or coming to coming to enjoy the experience of being around Jesuits, I think is 
an interesting perspective. For me, having been in religious training my whole life, I it's hard for me to separate sometimes like what it would be otherwise. Yeah. That being said, I had a very good experiences and I'm thankful for my education. Um, and, and I know many, many, I have many, many wonderful memories of having worked with people that are both at the Jesuit institutions and, and were Jesuits themselves. Okay, so I wanna start cracking more into your personal spirituality and that journey. And I wanna start talking more about your experience with your mom, both you know throughout your life and then regarding your mother's passing. So where do you want to jump off in that stuff? Well, um, let's start with me. Uh, I I wouldn't necessarily call myself an agnostic because it's not that I don't care. I definitely care. But I've found myself very disenchanted with organized religion on the whole because of the sort of exclusive nature of those things and and my argumentative nature against anybody who thinks they know anything 100% hmm. drives me crazy um because i don't think anybody knows anything 100% not unless it's very easy to know and the hard things the unknown things people who think that they know better than anybody else. I, I have a visceral reaction to that because I think there's so much to learn uh, from so many people. And as an artist, you have to be open to all of that stuff all the time. I know that sounds kind of like arty to talk about it, but like if you think you know all of the answers, then why are you here? What are you doing? What are you pursuing anymore? I like to be in search of the answers and I like to think I know things and then I like to investigate them even further and then be proven completely wrong. And if, as far as my own spiritual journey, I, for me, I feel and I know that there is something bigger. But I don't know what that is. I know like we talked about earlier, I know what it feels like when I get visited by a muse, if that, you know, just as a way to describe what that feeling is. Right. Um, where I, I will be overcome with almost a vibration and I'll just, I, I need to, need to work. I need to do this now, you know, and that, I don't get that in other things. I don't get that when I have to eat. I don't get that when I forgot to take out the cat boxes, you know, like there isn't this, oh my God, I got to do this thing. The way that when that hits me, boy, do I know it. And uh, looking around at the world too, there's, there's just so many patterns and things that are interconnected that I, I find the idea of absolute chaos nearly impossible and kind of sad. What do I mean by that? Um, uh, okay, so I've been taking a music theory course because as a musician, I've been writing songs for years and I have I can't read music. I, I can sight read a little bit and I learn by ear, but I've never been able to understand the language of music. 
And I was hoping that knowing how to notate and how to read sheet music and knowing the sort of relationships of keys on the page and stuff like that would make more sense to me as a musician. But as I'm taking this music theory class, <laughs> I'm learning more and more that it's feeling. Even the math of music is feeling. When you're listening to cadences, when you're listening to a minor key, it feels sad. When, when, a, when a cadence is left unfinished, it feels like there needs to be another chord there or the music is incomplete. And that, that is so spiritual to me that as a, as a unit, as a human unit, that tends to be universal. That there's this feeling of, ooh, that music feels unfinished. And that could just be training, but I don't know, man. I don't think so. That there's something, there's an essence to how music affects us as human beings that to me is representative of something much larger on a spiritual level. You know, it's funny, like, Arsene was on your show and she was in this band, Vaught and the Villains. Mm -hmm. And I am not a man who dances. I'm just going to put that out there. I'm a singer. I'm a singer who moves. This is how I always describe myself. I'm a singer who can move. <laughs> uh, but there was, there was something that happened when I went to go see those shows, man. My body just moved. It just danced. And I'm not that guy. I, in fact, I kind of rebel against it because I'm very self-conscious of how I look and move and feel. And there was like literally, you know, like speaking in tongues or something like that. Something came over me that was like, I got to move. Mm. I got I to gotta sway. I got to dance. I got to move around. Like, what is this? There's something that affects, and not just me, clearly, something that affects people with music that I think hits us on, on a level that isn't body-based. And if it's not body-based, then what is it? Does that make sense? Mm, I really like it. When do you think you first started feeling this vibration? If you want to be more spiritual with it, you got visited by the muse. When was that first happening? When do you think you first became aware that that was happening? Um, well, my dad, my dad used to sing me to sleep uh, when I was a kid. And even then, when I was falling asleep, I'd get these ideas from the songs that he was singing me, but I had, I had no, I had no way to get them out, you know, cause I hadn't learned guitar yet. And I, mm. I started, they thought I was going to be a drummer cause I was hitting, I was hitting everything. I was hitting pots and pans. I was hitting, you know, I was playing along to music and just my hands were always playing a beat. So I, they thought they were going to be stuck with a drummer. Thank God for them. <laughs> I wasn't. It's a little, little quieter existence when you've got a guitarist in the family. Um, until the 90s hit, and then it was all grunge rock, and man, it was not quiet at all. Sure. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but man, yeah, the, the second I had the ability and the, the tools by which to get those feelings out, I, I was, I had those feelings of like, oh, I can finally get, get these things out. You know, and I think my, my dad is, is having a similar thing right now. Um, for everybody, my, my dad has Parkinson's. 
and was diagnosed right before my mom passed. And uh, my dad is a guitarist. Yeah. And, and of course, one of the most important things about being a guitarist is the use of your hands. And uh, he was losing the ability to play. And that was like, that was the worst, man. Because like he, he was the one who, you know, he taught me how to play the guitar. I didn't go to classes. My dad taught me. And he introduced me to the Beatles and the Stones and probably introduced me to Miles Davis just a little bit too early. <laughs> uh, and to hear this, this, this guy whose knowledge of music was encyclopedic and his ability to play was so, such an important part of my life, to know that that was going was, um, you know, it's faith-shaking, man. That's, uh, that seems like a God-given gift that he's taken back. Hmm. And uh, the, the hopeful side of it, the good side of it, though, is that I introduced him to GarageBand. <laughs> you know, like the Apple GarageBand. Of course, Band. yeah. And he went apeshit and just got all of these ideas that were in his head down on GarageBand, he like he learns something new about that program every day. He's learning piano now, basically using the screen, you know. And because it's so much easier and and requires less fine motor skills than than playing the guitar, he's able to get his music down and these cover songs that he's always wanted to do down. And he will deconstruct songs that he loves and put them back together in really interesting ways. And it's like I felt the same way because it wasn't until I had a tool, until I had the guitar that I could get that stuff out. And for my dad, um, I mean, I, I'm assuming he feels the same way, but it, but it, for me it was, I had this euphoric feeling of like, oh, my God, I know how you feel. You have the ability to get this stuff out there now. And, and you were able to return the favor. Yeah. Yeah. I never really thought of it like that, but yeah. Yeah, it's true, man. This is really beautiful stuff, man. We got to take your last break. So we'll see you in a couple of minutes. God and Other Delicacies has a weekly newsletter. If you'd like to subscribe, email me at godsdelicateshow at gmail.com and I'll put you on the list. Also, if you're listening to this show on iTunes right now, I'd love it if you scrolled to the bottom, hit five stars, and wrote a one to two sentence review. It really does help the show reach more listeners, and it means a lot to me, because I read them, and it's nice to read nice things. All right, everybody, we're back with John. It's our last segment, and we were talking briefly off mic at the break about, I was telling him that even though I knew that it was what was right for Arsene's episode to cut her story about how she met Phyllis and, and these other teachers, Tina and Deb, and it was just right for that episode. But cutting Phyllis out, there was this, I had this feeling of sadness, even though I knew it was right for that moment, but by removing her name, it's like I removed in a, a way for her to live again. And 
I love Phyllis and I love the family of people that I met through Phyllis. And I was talking to John about that and I wanted to know for you what that's like regarding your mom and you mentioned even Phyllis too. Yeah, man. Um, you know, Phyllis was extraordinary and uh, she was <laughs> very much, again, like a mama bear for us at college. Really, really cared about every single one of us that went through there. And uh, when my mom passed, you know, there's a thing that happens when people die, man. Um, and when you lose, when you lose a parent, like it's this universal thing, right? Like everybody is likely to experience this at some point in their lives. Right. But until it happens, you don't, you become a member of a club you just wish you weren't a member of. Uh, but the only people who really understand it are fellow members, you know what I mean? Mm, I don't is the thing I actually have. But you say yeah. that and I just want to be clear, I don't. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but there was a lot of people who, you know, they, ex they express their sadness and, and, you know, they say they're sorry. And, um, of course that's all wonderful and good. And Phyllis gave me this little box and in, and in the box was a little card and it said, there are no words. And that pretty much summed it up completely. Wow. Um, but in the box with, with it was this little crystal or like glass horse. And my mom uh, was a huge horseback rider and my sister rode horses. My mom ran the Wisconsin Hunter Jumper Association for horses and loved horses. You know, we had horses and so this little horse handed, I mean, I, it's on my desk. I sit here, I look at it every day. Mm. But the thing that's nuts about it, man, is that my mom collected these little glass figurines and there's no way in the world Phyllis could have known that. Mm. I don't think I ever mentioned it. It wasn't something that I used in acting classes or anything, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, but I have, I have one of my mom's figurines and I have uh, Phyllis's glass figurine they sit right next to each other so I'll, I'll send you a little photo of that oh yeah um but yeah man there's something incredibly faith shaking about losing a parent because even though you know it's once you learn about death you know it's an inevitability but it just never actually seems like it's gonna happen till it does you know and, uh, yeah, it was, um, it was a really hard thing because I was, I was away. I was in Los Angeles. So, and she was back in Milwaukee and she had been sick when I was in school at Marquette too. So it wasn't, it wasn't a fast thing. You know, she had, she had beaten it. She had gone into remission and then it would something would pop up, and then she'd fight it. She'd go back and do her mission, 
And my, my mom, like I was saying before, she's a fucking lion. So there's a part of me that it was just like, she'll beat it every time. Till, till she can't, you know? And uh, there was something about that of like, no, 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 it's not, it's not time, but it's never time. I think the thing that was the craziest about it was that I, you know, I was, I was trying to get, I was trying to get home because my, my dad and my sister were like, it's, uh, this is, this is probably the time. And so I was trying to hop a plane and on my way to the airport, I got the call. Wow. Yeah. So, um, you know, I got home and uh, my sister and I are close. We're, we're, you know, we're a loving family, but we don't talk about stuff much, if I'm being completely honest, uh, you know, about those sort of hard, tough things. And my sister said to me, she, you know, she, she just basically said, I don't think she wanted you to see her like that. Wow. And, and there was a part of me that was like, you know, I went through like all seven stages in that moment. Right. Because oh. it was like, there, there was a part of me that was like, okay, yeah. Um, that's a, that's a gift that my mom gave me. And then having also the anger of like, no, I should have been, I should have been there. I should have been around. And, but I think my mom knew that, I had I had this view of her in my head, you know, of this lion, which she was. And I, I think she didn't she didn't want that image tarnished. That's something you used to talk sense. to her. Yeah, is that something you used to talk to her about? No, actually, I mean we we never talked about that. But I think that there there was something there was something there, you know. And my mom was a jokester so i think that she made light of most things i know <laughs> my, my dad told me uh that uh one of the last things that she said before she passed my dad was in the room with her and she said uh <laughs> she she said if they don't let me in i'll put in a good word for you all <laughs> <laughs> and that was so indicative of who my mom was, like that is knowing amazing. Yeah, like knowing how close this probably was and to have the energy to still make us laugh about it was exactly who she was, man. Wow. Yeah. Wow. What a gem. What a gem. Yeah. Yeah, she was she was uh she was a good one. Oh, John, that's a very moving testimony. Yeah. Yeah, man. You know, but I will say that uh one of the really beautiful things that came out of that was I think that my family talks a lot more now. And we we talk about things and I you know, I I think I used to tell my mom all the time that I loved her on the phone. 
uh, but I don't think I told my dad all the time. Hmm. And now, now it's every chance I get, you know, because you kind of, whether or not you're defeatist about life, it's just like the inevitable is the inevitable and you never know. Uh, so the ability to tell somebody you love them now is precious and important and powerful. And everybody who has the chance to do it should do it every second they got, I think. Mm. I'll say that much. Yeah. That feels really right, man. Oh, Nick. Yeah, I have a question. I'm, I think I'm, yeah, I've been hesitating to ask it because I, I wanted to make sure I didn't derail, but I'm really been, so I've been really getting emotional about the fact that people can't give funerals for the people that die during this. Oh God, man. Yeah. And like all across the world, bodies are being like cremated and they're just being stored and cremated and stuff like this. And people aren't able to like celebrate and usher with ceremony their loved ones. There's no closure. And no. Arsene talked about this with the second line and how extraordinary that ceremony and pageantry and that celebration is for the dead. And I guess I just, I wanted to ask you, it must be even so much more poignant for you because you can put yourself in the place of a son that if your mother had died today of COVID-19, like you having had this experience can probably imagine just how painful that would be. And I wonder if you have anything to say about that. Yeah, man. I mean, I think, unfortunately, this is this is something I think about a lot. I mean, <sighs> so we had we had a, a, a couple of friends of ours who whose father passed, and mm. he was in New York, and uh, and they, he couldn't go wow. because they weren't they weren't going to have a funeral per se for him, you know? And, you know, I have a lot of regret, I have a lot of regret that I wasn't with my family when my mom passed, but there was closure. There was a moment where I got to go be with everybody and see her and say goodbye. And there is something so terrifying about life now in that Things are opening up again. People are going to want to go out to restaurants. They're going to want to hang out. They're going to want to see people. And if my dad got sick, I don't know if I get to say goodbye, mm. you know, except over the phone. And and even if you knew something was coming, what, I I fly home and I have to quarantine for 14 days? Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. I feel for the world right now. I, I've seen the, the drone shots over Brazil, those mass graves. 
Well, I haven't seen those. Oh, buddy, it's bonkers. It's 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 the worst. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. Yeah, people who can't say goodbye. I I know a little bit about not being able to say goodbye in person, but to not be able to say goodbye at all is. That's spirit crushing, man. Oh, man. So you talked earlier about that you know there's something out there. There's something more mm. for you, for you. And you're not, mm. I'm not trying to put you on a you know, podium here. You know, this is your show to talk about this, but I know you're not trying to preach. Um, when you talk about that, it doesn't, you don't give me the feeling that you're talking about something specific. I don't get an anthropomorphic God from you. But I kind of want you to try to articulate a little bit more about what you think that means to you. I know that you feel you can feel it. You can touch it in music. It's something more. I understand that, and I relate to that feeling. I certainly, there's more out there. We know. I mean, just, you know, even on a if you want to talk about facts, there's just an enormous universe that we don't understand. That's more just right there. But beyond that, mm -hmm. what makes the universe and what's before that? And are there, you know, what's before the Big Bang and what's before the, what was before the Big Bang? All those things. Yeah. But does the thought about that feeling feel connected in some way to the spirit of your mom? Do you feel like in some way spirits interact with that? Do you feel like, does it give you comfort to think about your mom being in a place? Yeah, you know, man, it, it is, that's a really interesting question. I think part of the solace that I've found in believing in something much bigger than us comes kind of from science, <laughs> which is the, the whole energy can't be created or destroyed mm. theory, right? Mm -hmm. And that there's a little bit of electricity in every single one of us. You know, the way our brains work, the way our brains fire, right? There's Absolutely. I was actually just reading a little bit about this in this book called Coming of Age in the Milky Way, and I'm reading a little bit about Einstein, and the you lose a little bit of mass. when, Like they were saying that uh, this really cool fact where even if it's just like this real fraction, when a, like the camera loses mass when the flash goes off because the flash mm -hmm. has lost a little bit of electromagnetic energy and the person that got the flash got a little bit more energy. So their mass was just a fraction bigger. I thought that was an amazing, it's like imperceptible, yeah. but it's just an amazing exchange. It speaks to the exchange that you're talking about, which is that it may look like the flash just disappears, but actually what's happened is something else has received that energy. That's right. Some part might be gone, but there's something that isn't mm -hmm. something that is not gone. And, and look, there's some wonderful hope in that, in that it just enters somewhere. It goes somewhere. It becomes a part of something else, which means that there's a part of us that never goes away in the universe somewhere people centuries, millennia ago exist still because they can't not. There's a part of them that's still here somewhere. 
there's that's such a big thing, but there's some comfort in that for me. I also think everything that my that my mother every time she had like a little life lesson for me or something that lives on in me there's part of that that doesn't die and i think that there's i get a lot of dreams man you know uh, uh, i i dream a lot i think that sometimes those aren't just random things firing off i think that there's there's energy that's been given that exists that stays around rattles around in our head a little bit and comes up every now and then. And memory, memory is just such a bizarre concept, right? Mm. That you remember what someone looks like. You remember how their voice sounds, what their laugh sounds like. And if you remember that, if they exist for you, then they exist. Does that yeah. make sense? Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel that. I really like what you're saying. I I don't know if I have anything else to add, but I feel that. Anyway, I, I also just find, I also find stuff in nature just absolutely overwhelming, looking at patterns in nature and, you know, the fact that flowers let off seeds in the Fibonacci sequence and that there's a lot of people who are trying to find order in the chaos, but there's also just lots of evidence that, a lot of it's not chaotic at all. There's a lot of patterns that exist. And the fact that our DNA works the way it does and that we live on a perfect planet that means that life could happen and then we could evolve from what we evolved from and end up like this where we're now questioning our reality and who we are. And you know, I have no idea what comes next but the fact that we got here is freaking amazing. It should be scientifically impossible. Yeah. What was the sequence you just said? What? The Fibonacci sequence. That's the spiral, right? Fibonacci? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there, there, are, there are flowers out there that when they release their seeds, they're released in a spiral pattern. Wow. And it's like, if we can look at the world scientifically, right? And see those patterns. Who made the pattern? And why is that happening the way that it does? Why is the speed of light always fixed? Why is the speed of sound always fixed? And I don't, you know, like you said, I don't think it's an anthropomorphic guy in the sky in a beard, but there is order to the chaos. And because there is order to some of the chaos out there, I find a lot of solace that there's something bigger that I might not understand, I might not ever understand, but boy, am I going to try to understand, you know? Oh, that's great. Johnny Bon Jobeck. <laughs> Jimmy John. Bobby Jim. Yes. Oh, buddy. Well, this was a beautiful episode this is a beautiful episode thanks man, man. really really um, uh, not surprised uh i'm you know i'm proud to call you my friend but it was really lovely to get to to sit here and talk with you and and to learn some more stuff about you and some of these things i knew about but hadn't had the chance to really get into at this level and it's just very special to me and i really appreciate you sharing man 
I appreciate it, man. I, uh, I love being able to talk about my mom. Um, you know, I, I don't do it enough, if I'm being totally honest. Well, man, it was really beautiful to hear you share. And I, I really appreciate it. So I'm glad it felt good to you, thank too. You. Yeah, thanks, man. All right. And thank you all for listening. the first trip I ever took with the woman who would become my wife to Milwaukee, which is where you are from and where you and I went to college. Um, I, you were home that Christmas and we got to hang out one night and I got very, very drunk. And I, you were driving Andrea and I home safely. And, uh, and I just started, I wanted to go to Jimmy John's to get a sandwich. And then, yes, you did. I started just going, Hey, Johnny Bobes, would you like a Jimmy John? Hey, Jimmy Jim, would you like a Bobby Johns? And I just did that for like 20 minutes and I never stopped, John. I never stopped. (laughs) No, you never stopped. It's still gone. All right. And wow, I almost totally just um, threw my, by putting my foot on a cord, almost threw my camera, my my, uh, recorder off the table. Hold on. (laughs) <laughs> I was so close, so close to the end. <laughs> wow. Oh, it all felt so good right until that moment. All right, hold on. Let me say goodbye yeah, for like, real. Uh, It broke and we just lost everything. <laughs> yeah. um, great um, episode. Uh, <laughs> yeah, jeez. All right. Well, maybe that's the Easter egg. <laughs>